Hey everyone, Joe Bowen, the voice of the Toronto Maple Leafs here, inviting you to join a very special podcast, 30 Minutes Live with CDP. It's every Wednesday and Friday night on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. How you guys doing? Thanks for tuning in to a Friday afternoon edition of uh, 30 Minutes Live with CDP. And I'm just waiting for my guest, uh, Derek Wills, uh, the radio voice of the Calgary Flames on Sportsnet 960 in Calgary, to come on. He also was the uh, voice of the Hamilton Bulldogs, the AHL version, for 13 years as well. And uh, I'm looking forward to speaking to uh, Derek today. I'm just going to put his picture up here. One second, guys. I hope you're all doing well on this Friday, uh, July 2nd. And anybody I missed yesterday, I wish you, uh, I wish anybody a happy Canada's Day. And for my American friends who listen to this as well, uh, I'd like to wish you um, a happy 4th of July this Sunday. So, yes, yeah, so uh, I did send Derek the... Uh, link to my uh, podcast and hopefully he should be on uh, shortly to talk about his career with uh, first with the Hamilton Bulldogs for 13 long years and then uh, taken over for the late legendary or not late but the late the legendary Peter Mahar who did the Calgary Flame games I believe for over 33 years and I uh, will ask him how that was to follow the footsteps of a legend like Peter Mahar Mahar Anyways, guys, uh, like you said, just bear with us, and uh, hopefully we'll have Derek on very soon. Uh, like I said, I sent him the link and stuff like that. So um, anyways, guys, while we're waiting for Derek to come on, um, we got uh, 2021 Stanley Cup Finals resuming tonight, game number three at 8 o'clock, uh, Tampa Bay at Montreal. Uh, Lightning, as you guys know, lead the series 2 nothing, and only 3,500 fans will be allowed in the Bell Center uh, tonight as per the Quebec government, but, uh, maybe playing at home will, will help the Canadians out. But to me, this is a key game for Montreal. You don't want to fall behind three nothing to Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is too good, uh, to spot them a three nothing lead. So, um, they're going to have to play their best game of the series tonight. I thought Montreal played better in game two against Tampa Bay. Uh, but, uh, that goal at the end of the second period was what? 0.3 tenths of a second uh, with a backbreaker. And then uh, the third goal in the third period was about, what, five minutes left, six minutes left. The defenseman behind Montreal's net just was got lazy with the puck. And uh, Tampa Bay Ford took that puck and put it in the net. So uh, I thought Carey well, Price played well. Uh, I thought the team played well. But uh, the couple of mistakes against Tampa Bay, and they'll make you pay, even though Montreal severely outshot them. Uh, Tampa Bay's defending champs, they, they're experienced. You can't make mistakes. So Montreal tonight uh, will have to not have any mistakes at all to have a chance to get back into the series. If they can uh, do that, they'll have a good chance of winning game three. But if they continue to make um, mistakes with the puck and give up late second goals, uh, then it, the series could be over with in four games or five but uh let's just hope montreal can show up tonight and some other news uh montreal will be able to host outdoor viewing parties outside the bell center after the request for more fans in the arena was denied this week by the quebec government so uh they're gonna need all the support they can get so um anyways uh just one second i just heard from derek so i'm just going to uh just gonna yeah one sec, guys.
One second, guys. It works. I'm just uh, texting Derek right now. With hey, sometimes technical difficulties happen. So we'll just see. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Basically, Derek's just trying to uh, get on with the link. Um, he uses a MacBook. So um, yeah, I just told him a uh, Google Chrome. So uh, just bear with us, guys. So yeah, that was probably on my fault too. Uh, one thing about StreamYard, um, it does work better on PCs and laptops and phones. It does work on phones, but it, it also works on uh, Google Chrome. Uh, the best system to use with StreamYard is Google Chrome. So uh, hopefully Derek will be with us uh, shortly. I really appreciate Derek uh, giving me some, giving us some time today to come on and talk about his career uh, with the AHL's Bulldogs and now with the Calgary Flames. And uh, we'll see what he thinks about the Flames. Yep. Yeah, I'm just, uh, like I said, I'm just texting him right now. So, yeah. Yeah, so anyways, guys, if anybody has any questions or whatever for Derek, uh, please send them in the comment uh, section as well. Um, yeah, so anyways, guys, like I said, so yeah, it's just because uh, Derek was using his uh, Apple MacBook, uh, but like I said, StreamYard does tend to work better with Google Chrome system. So um, I just told Derek, no worries, and hopefully we'll cross the fingers. Derek will be on in a couple of minutes. So um, anyways, guys, like I said, if uh, anybody's uh, watching right now, I uh, just want to say thank you for watching on YouTube Live, Facebook Live, and Twitter Live. And while we're waiting for Derek, I will... Uh, promotes my audio version of myself as well uh just bear with me guys uh 30 minutes live with cdp the audio version which is uh downloaded after these podcasts is on google podcasts uh anchor fm apple podcasts breaker pocket cast radio public spotify and Castbox. Uh, so if you guys prefer the audio version instead of um the live version, uh, that's fine too. So anyways, guys, and like I said, uh, StreamYard's the official live stream provider of uh, 30 Minutes Live with CDP. And uh, guys, you can also check out my Facebook sports page, the Chris Palme Sports Blog as well, which I, I, I do post stuff and blog every day on as well. And if you guys want to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris D. Palme. And anyways, guys, like I said, uh, Today's guest is uh, Derek Wills, the vo radio voice of the Calgary Flames on Sportsnet 960 in Calgary since 2013, taking over for the legendary, uh, uh, following the footsteps of uh, the legendary Peter Marha. And uh, you can also follow Derek on Twitter at Fan960Wills. And he's also on uh, Facebook, and I believe he's, also, he's on uh, Instagram as well, if you want to check him out. Like I said, uh, some other notes. Oh, there he is. Just give me one second. And Derek uh, is just popped on right now. So Derek was also the Senior Director of Broadcasting Communications and Team Services, play-by-play uh, -play announcer for the AHL Bulldogs for 13 years as well. Uh, guys, just give me one second, and I will bring uh, uh, Derek Wills on here. One second. Hey, good afternoon, Derek. How are you doing? Doing well, Chris. Uh, how are you doing? Good. Thank you so much for giving me some time to come on here today. And I apologize. I should have uh, mentioned to you in my email that it does work better on Google Chrome than the other systems. 
Yeah, I got the Heisman uh, trying to run it on Safari on my MacBook. So uh, all uh, Google chromed up now and ready to go. Okay, no, great. And this technology is just amazing uh, with StreamYard and all this stuff. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, I guess uh, one of the uh, spinoffs of uh, having to deal with a global pandemic for the last uh, year plus. Yeah, I've been uh, doing this podcast just for um, over a year now. And uh, before I was doing the podcast, I was doing camera work for uh, Rogers TV for the Guelph Storm games, which I really liked. And I got basically a taste of the broadcasting bug from uh, from the Guelph Nighthawks of the CBL Rogers TV. And I just decided over a year ago I wanted to do a podcast. And, and, I've been, and now my goal is hopefully one day to get an opportunity in radio. Yeah, it's uh, interesting because it's kind of how I started in broadcasting as well. Uh, going back to high school, I went to uh, Lakeshore Catholic High School in Port Colborne, Ontario, and uh, we had to do uh, a co-op placement in grade 13. Uh, it's funny because there's no grade 13 out here in Alberta, so everybody wonders what I'm talking about when I talk about my OAC year. But uh, I did my placement at uh, Rogers Community 10 in Welland and uh, did a lot of behind-the-scenes work. And one of the big things I worked on was Junior B Hockey. And Niagara is the largest market in Canada with all the major broadcasters. So it was uh, quite a production. We did 50 plus games back then and covered the Sutherland Cup. And that's how I kind of got my feet wet uh, behind the scenes. And uh, one night when the host didn't show up and I raised my hand and volunteered to fill in, that's when uh, my uh, in front of the camera career started. So it, uh, it seems like a long time ago, but uh, also kind of feels just like yesterday in a way. Well, and you have to start somewhere and I'm, I'm starting a little bit later in life, but you know what? Uh, I've been, everybody in your industry has been really great with me and, and, uh, coming on my podcast and giving me advice and, uh, just trying to improve myself every podcast I do. Yeah, I think that's uh, certainly one of the ways you can get better. And, and one of the things I used to do, uh, back in the day I started, I think it was 19, 96 or 97 when I first started doing some on-air work on, on community TV is I'd uh, I'd record every single broadcast and I'd watch it two or three times uh, back then it was on a VHS tape not even a DVD or a PVR so uh, I would watch myself and, and try to figure out you know is there something I'm, I'm doing well is there something and trust me there's a lot of things I wasn't doing well back then and just try to to improve myself but uh, absolutely. I, I certainly encourage you to get as much uh, advice and feedback from, from those in the industry as you can. It's, uh, it's valuable if you can get it, and uh, it's certainly one of the ways you can get better. Yeah, I had Ken Daniels. I'm a Red Wings fan, and I had uh, Ken Daniels on a couple weeks ago, and he gave me some uh, great advice as well. So, and and that's exactly what I do, Derek. After each podcast, I download them audio and put them on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. And then I either watch it live again or I listen to the audio to see what I did okay, what I could have done better, and what I can improve on for the next show. So everyone's given me that advice as well. Yeah, and it's funny because uh, last year was my 25th year in broadcasting and, and 20th year calling professional hockey games, and I still do it. Uh, I still listen to probably every second or third game and, and try to listen to it from start to finish. And, you know, even uh, in year number seven going on eight in the NHL, it's it's still something I do to, to try to improve myself. And uh, I guess uh, my the analogy I would use is uh, Connor McDavid might be the best hockey player in the world, or certainly one of them. but it uh, doesn't mean that he doesn't go to practice every day to try to improve himself. So it really doesn't matter what level you get to. You can you can always get better. And uh, I'm glad to hear that's what you're doing. And that's uh, still what I'm doing as well. 
Yeah, and Jerry Howarth was giving me the same advice too. So I've been really lucky to have guys like yourself, Ken Daniels, uh, even Dan Sh- uh, Schumann, or Shaman, sorry, from uh, the Blue Jays and ESPN come on as well. So I still have a long ways to go, but I really uh, appreciate you coming on today. And I wanted to say uh, congratulations on 25 years. It goes by quick, doesn't it? It sure does. Like I said, uh, starting in Junior B uh, 25 years ago, 26 years ago, whatever it was, uh, you know, I, I still have so many great memories of those days, and I learned so much uh, working with uh, all of the owners and managers and coaches and players, and, and I'm still friends with uh, quite a few of them uh, today, and and we'll catch up with them whenever I'm back at home in Niagara. But uh, yeah, it, it, it feels like a long time ago in a sense, but uh, again, it, it feels like uh, just yesterday in a lot of ways because uh, of all those great memories I have of doing Junior B hockey or Junior A lacrosse. And and all the great relationships that I built. And and I wouldn't be here uh, in uh, Cochrane, Alberta, getting ready to call my eighth season with the Flames if it wasn't for all of those people and them giving me an opportunity back then and uh, certainly giving me some uh, advice. Uh, I remember one piece of advice that I got that I thankfully didn't take was uh, I didn't have this voice when I was uh, 18 years old and, and just uh, trying to get into broadcasting on the air. Uh, and, and people would say, you got to start smoking cigarettes. And, and I decided not to take that advice. So uh, health-wise, I'm glad I didn't take that advice. And uh, I figured out a way to get a little bit deeper voice in other ways. Yeah, Jerry Howarth was uh, mentioning that too when I had him on. Uh, before he took over the Blue Jays job, he actually ended up going to get voice uh uh, lessons to improve his voice overall. And he even recommended it to me as well at some point as well. Yeah. And I mean, I think the great thing about broadcasting nowadays is that having a different voice can actually be considered a good thing. Uh, Maybe 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you had to have a a quote unquote radio voice to be on the radio or to be on television. But, you know, these days, I think there are a lot of great broadcasters and Jerry Howarth would be one of them who have more unique voices. Even listening to the Stanley Cup final right now, uh, Chris Cuthbert doesn't have the deepest voice out there, but he has a unique voice and is an unbelievable play caller and and does a great job just being able to capture the excitement of the game and and help us experience that through the television. So uh, I think the great thing about broadcasting now is that unique voices in a lot of ways are being celebrated, where in the past, I'm not sure you could really put yourself in a position to, to get a job in one of the four major leagues or on a station in a large market unless you had that quote-unquote radio voice. So uh, for a guy who didn't always have the radio voice, I think I've got a little bit more of a radio voice now after 25 years. Uh, I, I wouldn't be in the industry if uh, if people didn't, uh, I guess, uh, allow me to, to kind of find my my feet under me and, and uh, get a little better or get a lot better over the years. Uh, so I'm thankful for that. Okay. Uh, before I start asking you some questions, uh, I just wanted to give a shout out to my friend, Steve. Uh, he's from Hamilton. He uh, wanted to tell you how much he enjoyed your work over the years with the Bulldogs. He was a season ticket holder. He always sat at 121 uh, center ice. And uh, even when the Bulldogs were uh, uh, on the road, he would listen to your games and stuff like that. So he just wanted me to uh, say hi to you and say thank you for your time in uh, Hamilton. He thinks you're one of the better uh, radio guys in the business. Well, thanks, Steve. I really appreciate it. Uh, I miss Bulldogs fans uh, a lot. Uh, I was back in Hamilton a couple of times, uh, actually during the pandemic, and uh, it was great to just uh, step back into what used to be Cops Coliseum and is now, I think, First Ontario Centre. And just walking back into that building where I spent 13 years brought back so many amazing memories and 
And I was really lucky. You know, my professional career got started in 2001 when the Bulldogs took a chance on me. And, and I'd spent the previous five years doing, like I said, junior B hockey and junior A lacrosse and uh, applied for an opening in Hamilton that I thought I had no chance to get. Uh, and the Bulldogs hired me when I was 24. I was the youngest guy in the American Hockey League at the time and spent 13 years there and, and so many great memories and, and so many great relationships, uh, long-lasting, lifelong relationships uh, that uh, I'm grateful to have because uh, I was with the Hamilton Bulldogs for those 13 years. And uh, even thinking about the Stanley Cup final right now, for 10-plus years, uh, they were the affiliate of the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, so I still uh, have uh, great relationships with uh, so many people that I work with when uh, the Habs and the Dogs were affiliated. And uh, at the top of that list would be uh, a man who's probably as responsible for me being uh, where I am today as, as just about anybody outside of my dad. And that's Michael Landlauer, who is uh, one of the shareholders of the Canadians and uh, still owns the, uh, the OHL's, Bulldog, OHL's Bulldogs. But, you know, Michael Landlauer was just so great to me over the years. And, uh, and one of my great memories is when I did my thousandth straight Hamilton Bulldogs game, uh, he presented me with a solid silver stick at center ice at Cops Coliseum. And I'm not sure there's ever been another broadcaster in, in any league that's uh, been given a silver stick like the players get. So uh, I'm rooting for Michael Landlauer and the Montreal Canadiens, uh, hoping that he adds a Stanley Cup ring to his uh, Calder Cup ring, uh, make that collection a little bit better. Um, I was going to ask you quickly, I was going to show a video clip or audio clip of some of your goal calls when you were with Hamilton in just a minute, if that's okay. I was sure. going to ask you what your thoughts were on this series right now. And do you think Montreal can turn it around being down to nothing, being at home the next two games? Well, what do they say about a series? Uh, you, you're still in the series until you lose on home ice. So uh, the good news for the Canadians is they're heading back to Montreal You've got games three and four. They're obviously they have to win game three. If they don't win game three, then the series is all but over. But uh, you know they're they're a team that has surprised everybody to this point in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Now, truth be told, I didn't think they had a chance in the first round, let alone the second round or the third round or the fourth round. I mean, when I think about last season, uh, the Canadians played against the team that I work with, the Flames in the Scotia North Division, and I'm convinced that if Calgary had another week or two they would have passed Montreal and finished in that that final playoff spot. The, the Canadians just played so poorly, and they were so uh, injury-bitten. Uh, the injury bug got them late in the season, and, and they were without a number of their top players. They were without Carey Price and Shea Weber and, I think, Ben Sherratt and you know, former Hamilton Bulldog, uh, along with Carey Price, Brendan Gallagher. So they got all those guys back to start the playoffs. So I think that was a real shot in the arm for them. But still, I, I didn't think that they were going to win that first round series. And then when they did, I didn't think they were going to win their second round series. And then when they did, I certainly didn't think they were going to beat the Vegas Golden Knights in the semifinals. So I give the Montreal Canadiens a lot of credit. They actually remind me a lot of the 2007 Hamilton Bulldogs. Now, I would say this year's Canadiens, they were a bigger underdog going into the Stanley Cup playoffs than the 07 Bulldogs were going into the Calder Cup playoffs. Because the, the Habs were the 16th seed out of 16 playoff teams. They were dead last as far as seeding was concerned when the playoffs started. So the fact they're in the final is uh, a miracle in a lot of ways. I don't think that they would tell you that because you know, they're a team that has talent. They're not the most talented team. I think the Tampa Bay Lightning are. But you know, the Montreal Canadiens have talent when healthy. And the reason they remind me of, of that Hamilton Bulldogs team is because, well, A, they've got the same goaltender, Carey Price, uh, but B, 
they just started to build belief. And, and that Bulldogs team, they finished, I think, third in the division that year. And they were an underdog in all four rounds. And, and no one gave them a chance, certainly, to, to get to the Calder Cup final that year. And uh, those that did, uh, didn't give them a chance to beat the defending champion, Hershey Bears. But they just built all of this belief with each and every win. And, and even in losses where they were in games and they had a chance late, they built that belief. And I think the Canadians have done the same thing this year. And, and I think it probably starts with the guy between the pipes. And going back to 2007, I think in a lot of ways, that's where the, the Bulldogs' belief started. And, and it's interesting because if you remember, Chris, in that 2006-2007 AHL season, Harry Price was playing junior hockey. You know, he was busy winning a gold medal for, for Team Canada at the World Junior Championships that year. And he actually joined the Bulldogs at the end of his junior season. But the Bulldogs' goaltender for most of that season was Yaroslav Halak. And he was the best goaltender in the AHL that season. So funny story, a lot of people, myself included, were really angry when Bob Gainey decided to send Yaroslav Halak to the World Championships that year and send a 19-year-old, untested, unproven Carey Price to the Hamilton Bulldogs for the Calder Cup playoffs. But uh, in hindsight, it was a pretty good decision by Bob Gainey because he ended up uh, starting every single game and won Calder Cup playoff MVP. So it, it all worked out in the end. But uh, I will admit that uh, when we found out Halak was going to the Worlds and Price was coming to us, uh, we weren't very happy about it, but uh, happy it, it happened, out. obviously, yeah. It worked out, and I was going to say, uh, just just to show you again, uh, the regular season is important, but the playoffs are totally different. 100%. You just got to get in. And, yeah. I mean, obviously, when I look at the Tampa Bay Lightning, they just have a more talented team than the Montreal Canadiens. The, the Habs do have some experienced players, but the Bolts, they've been there and done that. This is basically the team that won a Stanley Cup a season ago. So they have not only the talent, but they have the experience. So uh, I thought it was going to be a, a tough series uh, for the Canadians as, as well as they played in the first few rounds. Uh, I just think the Lightning are that much better than them and that much better than everybody. I picked them to win the Stanley Cup before the regular season started. I picked them again to win the Stanley Cup before the playoffs started. So I'm not at all surprised to see the Lightning playing for another championship. But uh, the fact that the Canadians got to the final and uh, you know, they're down two games, but uh, Again, not out of it until you lose that first game at home. So uh, cheering for them in game three tonight. Uh, so am I. It's because a couple of former Gulf Storm players are on that team. Ben Sherratt, the defenseman, and uh, Nick Suzuki only played one year with Guelph uh, for the OHL Championship two years ago. But Suzuki, who came over from the Owen Sound attack, made the difference in that Storm team that won the OHL Championship. They were down 2 nothing to every series or 3 nothing to London, and they were the comeback kids. And this kid's uh, Nick's not a kid anymore. He's 21 years old, but he's a very special hockey player. And I, I think Montreal did very well with that trade with former uh, Hamilton Bulldog Matt Pacioretty to Vegas. It worked out well for Montreal with Suzuki. Yeah, I think that trade actually worked out really well for both teams, Chris, because Max Pacioretty has been a great fit uh, with the Golden Knights and Nick Suzuki. Obviously, the, the Canadians had to be a little bit more patient with him because he is still a kid by NHL standards. But I think one of the exciting things, if you're a Habs fan, is that a lot of these young players, you've just seen them blossom in the Stanley Cup playoffs this year. That's such a great sign for the Canadians moving forward. You know, I think about Nick Suzuki and Jesperi Kotkaniemi, obviously Cole Caulfield. These are all going to be cornerstones of the Habs moving forward for the next, uh, well, if you're a fan of the team, hopefully decade. So the fact that they have gone through four rounds of the Stanley Cup playoffs and they've gained that experience and 
and they've really had a coming out party as players. It's uh, it's pretty exciting for that team and for its fans. Yeah, definitely. Okay, uh, just before I start asking you some questions, I just wanted to sh- uh, show an um, audio uh, clip of some of your Bulldogs uh, goal calls. Is that okay, just for a minute? Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully none of them are too bad. No problem. No worries. Uh, one second. I'm just going to put that on right here. Oh, back to the far point. Now Stoll lines up. Rebound. KT shoots. Goal! Oh, the Aces! Anyways, Derek, Ooh. I just oh that was sorry. a long time ago. I, some of those calls were cringeworthy. Yeah, I was gonna say it's just <laughs> I found them on YouTube, and what I do with all my guests is try to show uh, some video or audio of my guests, just so people can uh, see some of their work on here and stuff like that. Yeah, I think those were all from my first year uh, or my second year, uh, early in my time in Hamilton for sure. But uh, the Bulldogs had a lot of good teams during my 13 years there. And in my first couple of years, they were actually uh, affiliated with the team that I cheered for growing up. Uh, and that was the Edmonton Oilers, which is strange now because uh, I'm now the voice of their uh, their rival. But, uh, yeah, some really good teams in those early days. And uh, Claude Julian was uh, the head coach. Jeff Ward, who was uh, the, the head coach here in Calgary for uh, a season and a bit, uh, was the assistant coach. And my roommate on the road my first year in the AHL. And yeah, that uh, that team back in 2001-2002, I think lost in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Final to the Bridgeport Sound Tigers. And then the team in 2002-2003 was actually a split affiliate between Edmonton and Montreal. And, and the Canadians and the Oilers sent a lot of terrific prospects to that team. I think it might have been the most talented team in AHL history. I think you heard in one of my calls there, they were regular season champions heavy favorites going into the Calder Cup playoffs and uh, got to the final, play against uh, Todd McClellan's Houston Arrows and heavy favorites going into that series uh, and lost in game seven. I'll never forget that uh, that seventh game. Cops Coliseum was more than sold out, 17,428 people there. And the loudest the crowd got was after O Canada, unfortunately, because the Bulldogs lost 3 nothing in that game. And uh, as disappointing as that was, and maybe you can look it up. Uh, it made 2007 that much more special. And and with all the calls I've had in my career, 
and I wouldn't put any of the ones we just heard near the top of the list. They'd probably be closer to the bottom, although I've got some tapes of my old Junior B games, and I won't even listen to them. Maybe one day when I'm brave enough, I will. But um, my call of A.J. Bain's game and series and, and Calder Cup winning goal, and then the final 10 seconds are two calls I'm extremely proud of to, from 2007. So uh, if, you're, if you're looking to, to find some of my better work during my days with the Bulldogs, I encourage you to look up those calls. Okay, no problem. Um, Derek, I'm just going to ask, you still okay for time? I was just going to ask yeah, you some I'm questions. Yeah. Okay, no problem. Thanks. Um, the first question I was going to ask you, can you just tell my audience a little bit about yourself and when did you know exactly you wanted to pursue a career in broadcasting or being a, a, a radio play-by-play guy? Well, for me, I've always had a love of hockey. Uh, my dad started the beginners program in my hometown of Port Colborne, Ontario. He was the first coach of the junior B team. And, and I was going to the rink and I was pushing a chair around the ice when I was two years old. I was always a, a small kid. I didn't start to grow until probably grade 11 or 12. And then I was shooting up six inches a year. But playing hockey, I was always the smallest kid on the ice. E even looking back at some class pictures from elementary school, I was the smallest kid in the class, boy or girl. So playing hockey as, uh, as the little guy was uh, challenging at times. And I, I loved to play the game, but there were other things I liked to do as well like watch uh, Emergency on Saturday morning and some other TV shows. So uh, I played hockey up until high school and then I quit. And uh, it was in grade 12 or 13 when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with the rest of my life that uh, started thinking about uh, doing some production work. So, you know, for high school assemblies and high school plays and, and graduations, uh, I go down in this bunker at Lakeshore Catholic High School and and help with the production side of things, uh, lighting and audio and that sort of thing. And then in grade 13, when I had to do a co-op placement, uh, I had to choose, and this is really kind of a turning point for me. I didn't know it at the time, but looking back, it was my guidance counselor, Miss Barchese, told me I could go to Channel 2, NBC in Buffalo, or I could go to Rogers Community 10 in Welland. Obviously, NBC uh, is a little bit more appealing than, than Rogers. At the time, it certainly was. But she said, listen, if you go to, to Channel 2, you're going to be sweeping floors and you're going to get people coffee and, and you're going to do all this grunt work. And when your co-op placement is over, it's over. She said, if you go to the community TV station, basically, you're going to have an opportunity to, to really to dig in and learn about the business and, and to do this work behind the scenes and be a part of productions that are going to be on television. So I decided to go that route, thanks to her advice. And Obviously, if, if I had gone the other direction, I probably wouldn't uh, have you know, found this, this great career. Um, so it was in grade 13, really, when I, when I did that co-op placement. And then once that was over, I continued to volunteer and get as much experience as I could, doing a lot of the things that you've probably done, you know, covering Guelph Storm games and working in, in community television there. And, and then, as I said earlier, one night uh, the host didn't show up. Uh, I raised my hand and volunteered to do it. I was uh, 18. Uh, probably 6'1", 165, had a mullet and an earring. And funny story, I still got the hole in my ear, other ear, this one. Um, I took that earring out before I went on TV for the first time. And I never put it back in. The hole never closed up. But uh, yeah, I took it out before I went on TV the first time and uh, trying to be as professional as I could. And I was awful. I mean, I was really, really awful. Uh, but they obviously saw something in me and allowed me to continue to do it. And then... Every year, the play-by-play -play guy, Reg Redshaw, would go away for one month to Florida. So then they let me start 
uh, to do some play-by-play filling in for him when he went in. So I would run up and down from the broadcast booth to the to the corner to host and and then do play-by-play. And and everybody said, "Listen, you're good as a host, but you're better as a play-by-play announcer." So that's when I was like, "Okay, I think I'm going to focus on doing this." And really, how I created a job for myself because, as you know, getting a job in the industry is really difficult. So I had to create one for myself. So I went to some local radio stations in Niagara Falls and St. Catharines and actually bought airtime. And I negotiated a deal with the Golden Horseshoe Junior B Hockey League that I had the the rights to broadcast their games on the radio. So then I worked with all seven teams in the league, come up with a schedule uh, and uh, put kind of a skeleton broadcast together with uh, not the greatest equipment or the greatest talent. But that's how I gained experience calling games on the radio. And then when I was 24, I got the job with the Hamilton Bulldogs. And uh, I was the youngest guy in the league and I think probably the greenest guy in the league. So, and I needed those people with uh, Rogers Community 10, which became Kojiko Community 10. I'm not sure what it's called. I think it's TV Niagara or, or something like that. Now I needed those people to give me a chance and to work with me and help me get better. And they did. Uh, I'm very grateful for that. Uh, again, all the players that I work with, coaches, managers, owners over the years, they were very patient with me and, and helped me get better. And then when I got to Hamilton, it was kind of the same process. And uh, getting advice is a little harder when you get to pro hockey. But, you know, I got a lot of great feedback. My color commentator, you'll probably know the name, Al Craig, yep. uh, broadcasting legend in Hamilton. And I was so lucky that I got to work with him for 13 years because uh, not only was he, he a great broadcast partner, but he's still a great friend. And uh, he was a real mentor for me and, and really you know, helped me. Uh, figure out what to to do on the ice or not on the ice, but in the booth, calling games on the ice and and also out of the booth. It just had to be a professional. So uh, very grateful for all the people over the years uh, who gave me a chance and then stuck with me. And and that's thanks to them. I am where I am today and, and doing what I love for a living. Did you have any other mentors besides Al Craig that helped you when you first started out? Uh, I mean, Reg Redshaw and Roger Bouchard, they were the play-by-play and color team uh, on, on, community television. And I would say they were mentors. Uh, some of the producers back then were Mark Bennett and Corey Stewart and uh, Erica Benedicti. They were all great with me and they all helped me learn. But, you know, it, everybody really chipped in. And and even my friends would watch my demo tapes and, and they would give me feedback. My friend's parents would do it as well. Uh, funny story. One of my best friends growing up, his name is Brent Rossi. He's now the president of the Bridgeport Islanders. They just changed their name in the American Hockey League. Was with Pagula Sports and Entertainment, working with Buffalo Sabres and Buffalo Bills for years. But uh, him and I, we grew up together, spent a ton of time together. And uh, I remember his dad, uh, Rich Rossi, would uh, watch my demo tapes and give me honest feedback. And you know, just, just getting as much of that feedback as I could from family and friends and coworkers and, and anybody I could uh, get to in the industry was extremely valuable and and helping me improve and, and get to where I am today. That's really good advice. And I, um, I'm going to try to do that myself uh, with friends and family and, and coworkers uh, when I, I put these podcasts on together. One thing I was going to say, everybody who's come on here, uh, all my guests have pretty well said the same thing about volunteering and internships as well. So maybe I'll have to look at getting an internship with a local radio station as well, as well as, Hopefully I'll be back with Rogers TV uh, doing the storm games with the camera work. Cause with Rogers TV, you're right. They give you a lot of opportunities to learn and to improve your skill set as well. 
100%. And for me, it's all about practical experience, Chris. I mean, I did go to Niagara College for uh, a couple of years. And I think that that broadcasting program was really good. If, if you knew you wanted to be in broadcasting, just weren't sure really in what capacity. Or you wanted to kind of learn all the tricks of the trade. But I kind of put the cart before the horse. So I started doing this work with community television and realized that's what I wanted to do as a career. But I was already doing on-air work, and that's really where I wanted to focus my time. So I went to college after I started doing that because everybody said, well, you need a college diploma. And I just found that it kind of, you know, my studies kind of took away from what I was trying to do as far as practical experience was concerned. So I ended up leaving that program. Uh, and again, that's not a knock in any way, shape, or form on that program, that broadcasting program at Niagara College. But again, because I started in the industry and knew exactly what I wanted to do, I wanted to be a host or I wanted to be a play-by-play -play announcer, I, I needed to focus on that. So I left and I, I just spent as much time as I could getting practical experience, mainly with uh, the community television station. And I did not just sports, I focused on sports, but I would co-host the morning show when they needed someone to fill in. And I worked on a, a news magazine program and uh, you know, covering dog shows. And, and uh, they, they had this wine event, I remember, it was called Cuvée. And I'd, I'd never tried wine before, but I really liked ice wine. So I remember covering that event. But I just got as much experience in as many different areas as I could. And, and it's that practical experience that I think really helped me improve. So um, if you're looking for a little bit of advice, that's what I would say is, is just get as much practical experience as you can. And even doing this, this, this is practical experience. So good for you for doing this. Thank you. And I even got some advice from Jim, Jim Van Horn, uh, the longtime uh, color commentator for the London Knights. And he uh, teaches at Fanshawe College. And uh, he said, I could go to this broadcasting program if I like, but he goes, what you're doing right now is just as good. And he said, what you need to do is keep practicing reps and also build your contacts which I have been, and uh, with this social media platform too, I'm hoping somebody one day will will give me an opportunity. And 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 with Rogers TV, I will be able to get back to doing the cameras, and hopefully, I'll get some play by play training with them as well. Yeah, and it doesn't necessarily have to be on hockey. I mean, you could mm -hmm. uh, you could do what I did and, and just try to get whatever experience uh, is out there. And maybe it's calling hockey games. Maybe it's. Uh, well, I did, uh, I think, high school badminton tournaments. I know I did uh, Brock University basketball games. I did uh, Roma soccer games. So whatever I could do, I did. And it didn't necessarily uh, help me get better as a hockey broadcaster. It just helped me get better as a broadcaster. So, yeah, that practical experience, uh, whatever you can get, uh, I would suggest uh, taking it. I mean, you do get to a point in life, and I think this really did probably – take a lot of talented people out of the industry because it is so hard to get your foot in the door and to get that first job. But I, I know I worked with a lot of very talented people who ended up going down a, a different path for, uh, for their career because they simply couldn't put the time in that I was able to put in. And that's, that's really where I, I have to thank my dad and my grandma and uh, my family and my friends for supporting me, not only supporting me emotionally, uh, but also supporting me financially when I was you know, in my late teens and early 20s and making next to no money and, and chasing this career, which at the time, you know, felt like I was chasing a unicorn. Uh, but thankfully, it all worked out. And uh, again, I, I have so many people to thank. Uh, and certainly my dad would be at the top of that list. Uh, I wouldn't be here without him. There's no doubt about it. And right now I am still working at my other job full time. And with my schedule, I can still do my podcast 
two, three, four times uh, a week. And um, like I said, I've learned how to produce my own shows. I've learned how to get guests, how to con connect with guests. And I also have to realize too, uh, sometimes you have to be very flexible with your guest schedule. Sometimes I have to sacrifice some sleep and to get somebody <laughs> I guess on, but you know what? It's part of the, the sacrifice. Cause uh, even Dan Shalman told me sometimes you have to make sacrifices, even in doing something with a podcast too. Oh yeah. I, I mean, there's been plenty of sacrifices over the years. I wouldn't blame my career for the end of my marriage, but it certainly played a role in it. Uh, I mean, it's tough. You miss a lot of holidays uh, when you're traveling with a professional hockey team. Uh, really, you're just you're, you're tied to their schedule. And I've I've been in pro hockey now. It'll be my 21st year in, in 2021, 2022. And I've never missed a game. And I, I take a lot of pride in that. But, you know, uh, over the years, there were games where I was really sick. Uh, I remember in, in Hamilton because I was traveling with the team and, and most of our travel was on a bus the old iron lung, uh, if one guy was sick, that tend to spread pretty quickly through the team. Uh, so there, there were a lot of times with the Bulldogs where I was worn out because I wasn't just doing play-by-play. -play. At the end, I think you mentioned my title off the top. I was the Senior Director of Broadcasting, Communications, and Team Services slash play-by-play -play announcer. So there were a lot of hours being put in, and broadcasting in a lot of ways was second or third as far as uh, order of importance because – you know, as a team services guy, I had to get the team from point A to point B to have a game to broadcast. So you know, there were a lot of uh, early mornings and, and late nights. And even now that I'm in the, the NHL, and I'm not complaining at all because they treat us extremely well. But, uh, you know, prior to last season, I, would, I was always traveling with the team. And, and hopefully I will be again uh, in this upcoming season. But you, you go to San Jose, you play a game that starts at 7.30 Pacific time. And by the time that game is over and you get to the airport and, and you fly back to Calgary, sometimes you're getting home at three or four in the morning and got to be up at nine o'clock to do a radio hit. So, you know, uh, even at this level, the highest level, uh, there are still a lot of those uh, half sleepless nights, Chris. Uh, so you're not alone. And uh, it, it does take some sacrifice uh, for most of us to, to get to, into broadcasting in, in whatever way, shape or form we do. So uh, glad to hear that you're willing to, to take some of those lumps just like most of us did. Yeah, um, and I, have a, do. I do have a passion for this, and this is something I want to do. And uh, I know it's not going to be easy, Derek, but I uh, just got to keep plugging away, working hard at it, and just keep uh, trying to improve and stuff like that. Yeah, that that's the key. And, and you mentioned a word there that I think is extremely important, Chris, and that's passion. Because I, I will tell anybody, just find something you're passionate about in life and, and go after it, if you can. Uh, however you can. And that's exactly what I did. You know, I, I developed a passion for broadcasting and then or taking it a step further, a passion for, for calling hockey games, for doing play-by-play. -play. And, and I just chased that dream and it wasn't always easy. And, you know, moving my, my family across the country and, and my family was my wife and my dog at the time, that wasn't easy. It wasn't easy on me and it certainly wasn't easy on her. And unfortunately that marriage came to an end and and I think that move in, in my career played a part in that. And you know, it's uh, a sacrifice that thankfully not all broadcasters have to make. But I, I know that a lot of broadcasters have had to make those types of sacrifices. And, you know, it, it kind of is what it is. And, and when you find something that you're as passionate about as I am about calling hockey games, uh, you have to decide what's uh, truly important in life. And, you know, in, in hindsight, uh, there are probably some decisions I've made along the way that uh, if I if I could go back and and 
you know, do it differently, I would. Um, but hey, we only live this life once and, uh, you know, there's no delete button. So uh, we, get, we get one shot at it and we're going to make some mistakes along the way, but uh, live and learn, right? Definitely. And um, I uh, found my passion when I was uh, just about almost 48. So I'm starting a little bit later, but you know what? It's never too late to find a passion. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And if you're passionate about it, then I really think that gives you a fighting chance because uh, again, it, it's something I alluded to earlier. Uh, I worked with a lot of talented people in this business. You know, even when I was doing uh, just stuff on the community television station and, and certainly uh, even guys in the American Hockey League, second best league in the world. But the, the truth is, you know, those aren't high paying jobs. You know, we're not talking about six figure salaries for an AHL broadcaster. My, my salary, my first year, this will blow your mind. It still blows my mind. Uh, I got paid $4,500 my first year with the Hamilton Bulldogs. That was wow. a full time job. Wow. I did. I think it was an 82 game schedule at the time, plus preseason games, plus playoff games. And the only thing that saved me was they allowed me to do a deal with uh, the Ramada Hotel in Hamilton. So I got to stay at the, the Ramada for free, but there were nights where I couldn't afford to eat. I'd have to buy a pizza for six bucks and, and somehow stretch it out for two or three days of $4,500. And I got a big raise my second year. I got a uh, a $20,500 raise. So I made $25,000 my second year with the Hamilton Bulldogs. It felt like I was rich. But, you know, these these are some of the sacrifices that you have to make to get your foot in the door. Now, truth be told, if they wanted to hire someone who was better than me, they were going to have to pay them more than me that first year in Hamilton. So for me, it was, okay, this is my chance to get my foot in the door. And it sucked for a year. It, it sucked in the sense that, you know, I couldn't afford to eat some days. But as a 24, 25 year old who just wanted to call hockey games for a living, it, it didn't suck because that's what I was doing. I was, I was chasing my passion and I was getting to do what I loved and someone was paying me to do it. Even though it was $4,500, someone was still paying me to call AHL games. Uh, so I got a lot better that first year, despite what you heard in those goal calls you played earlier. I did get better and then uh, continued getting better. And, uh, after 13 years in that league, got to this league, and uh, now I'm a little bit more comfortable. So uh, all of the sacrifices that you're making, I hope will pay off like they have for me. Yeah, because Dan Schaumann was telling me that too, that uh, passion is important, but also uh, some people want to go in for the money and the fame, and it takes many years and a lot of uh, a little bit of luck too, and it's oh, yeah. it's not it's not going to be easy roll. So um, what you just told me there too, I'm I'm prepared for as well. Yeah, there's no guarantees in this business, even, you know, for people who have been in it for decades, uh, the business is changing right now, big time. And and part of it is what we're doing right now, podcasts. And you know, it isn't just kind of radio, TV, newspaper, which is what it used to be not that long ago, really. I mean, you think about 10 to 15 years ago. Yeah, there was the Internet, but it, there wasn't social media. You know, and the fact that you have a platform like this uh, to work on your craft, I think it's really exciting. I mean. I think how I first started working on being a broadcaster before I even knew that I wanted to be a broadcaster was, remember those ghetto blasters? Yes. They had, they had the two tape decks. Yeah. Well, well, what I learned was that if you plugged a set of headphones into the microphone jack, the one headphone was actually a microphone. So I would do these mixtapes for when my friends and I went out. And I would be DJ Derek or whatever I called myself and uh, come up with a bunch of cheesy uh, intros for songs. Uh, 
something like, uh, oh, if you're hungry, it's time for some meatloaf. And like, my, just try to make my friends laugh sort of thing. But I think that was probably my first broadcasting experience is when I used to make those mixtapes uh, using a set of headphones as a microphone and plugging them into my old uh, two uh, tape deck ghetto blasters. So yeah, the fact that you can do something like this and, and have uh, you know, professional broadcasters on to chat with, uh, pretty exciting. I wish I had those tools when I was trying to get into the industry. I wish they had this 25 years ago because when I was in my 20s, I was trying to figure out law and security or broadcasting. And at the time, I didn't have the computer or internet. And I really wish, well, it's it's never too late, but I wish they had this back then because I think I would have gone right into broadcasting because I always have had a passion for it, but I've never really had the opportunity to do what I'm doing until um, like the last year or two or whatever. Yeah. And again, the industry is changing so much right now and it's closing some doors, I think, for the the traditional ways of broadcasting. But it's also opening doors as a result, you know, whether it be podcasts or social media. You know, there are way more platforms now than there used to be. Uh, unfortunately, fewer jobs maybe on the traditional mediums than there used to be. But but more opportunities elsewhere. So uh, exciting stuff uh, for young broadcasters, and just a great way to, to kind of get your feet wet and, uh, as you said, build contacts and get experience. Definitely. I'm just going to ask you a couple more questions. Are you still okay for time? Yeah, all good. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Uh, next question I was going to ask you: um, What was your most memorable call in your time with Hamilton, and what what do you remember most about? I guess the, you've already answered the second part of that question, but what was your most memorable call in your time with Hamilton? Your favorite call in your thirteen years with the Bulldogs? Well, I, I can talk about the two thousand seven Calder Cup playoffs all day. Uh, I mean, just so many great memories. Just everything. Uh, whether it be just being on the road with the guys and kind of seeing them come together as a team, uh, how Kerry Price emerged as, I think he was the first goaltender since Patrick Waugh to go right from junior to the AHL and win a Calder Cup as a rookie. Uh, and now I'm hoping he wins a Stanley Cup uh, a lot later on in his career. But th that whole 2006-2007 season was, was special because it was uh, a group that wasn't the most talented, but they came together at the right time. And, and obviously they got the goaltending and, and you can't get uh, to a Stanley Cup final or Calder Cup final unless you've got that goaltending. So, you know, when I think about that run, it really started with three games to go in the regular season when Bob Ganey made that decision to send Yaroslav Halak to the World Championships and uh, to send Kerry Price uh, to the Hamilton Bulldogs to get some professional experience. And, you know, we knew about Kerry Price. He was the fifth overall pick. He led Canada to a gold medal at the World Junior Championships that year. But still, he's a he's a 19-year-old rookie. You're expecting this guy to take you to the promised land? We certainly didn't. But then he played in three regular season games. He went two and one, and he looked very good. Not great, but very good. You're thinking, okay, pretty good start for this 19-year-old kid. And it's not easy to play in the AHL as a teenager, and, and very few guys do it. So then you get to the Calder Cup playoffs, first series against the Rochester Americans. Bulldogs won that in six. Second series was against the Manitoba Moose. Bulldogs won that in six. In the conference finals, they played a, a really talented Chicago Wolves team. And uh, I love Chicago. It's still probably my favorite road city. So getting to go sh to Chicago in the spring was a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of the guys went to a Cubs game at Wrigley Field. I passed on that opportunity. I don't know why. It's uh, certainly one of my regrets when I think back at that that run now. 
Um, but they beat the Wolves in five. And then it was off to the final against the Hershey Bears. Hershey won the championship the year before. They were huge favorites going into the Calder Cup final. I remember back in the day when there was actually bulletin board material. I'm still, I'm sure some coaches and teams still use actual bulletin board material where they put stuff up on the bulletin board. But back in 2007, teams actually had bulletin board material where they, we, we had a bulletin board in the Bulldogs dressing room where if we saw something we thought could motivate the guys, one of my jobs was to cut it out of the newspaper and put it up on the bulletin board. So before game one of the final, up on that bulletin board, and it wasn't me that did it, but whoever did uh, deserves some credit. Well, the Hershey Bears had uh, a parade route published prior to game one of the Calder Cup finals. Wow. Here's the wow. parade route for this year's championship. Well, they were a little quick uh, pulling that trigger. So the Bulldogs won game one for nothing. Before game one, there was a big storm in Hershey. Delayed the game by about an hour. Torrential downpour, thunder, lightning, one of the worst thunderstorms I've ever seen. So the, the officials, because of the storm, some roads got flooded. They were an hour late getting to the game. So this, for me, is one of the defining moments of Carey Price's career. So think about it for a sec. He's a 19-year-old. He's a teenager playing in a league with men. Three regular season games of experience, doing the math, 17 games of postseason experience in the, in the AHL at this point in his career. So you, you would think that Carey Price would be nervous going into game one of the Calder Cup final, right? No. What did he do to pass the time during that one-hour delay? He slept on the floor of the dressing room. He went to sleep. <laughs> I mean, I was nervous. As, as, yeah, as a, a veteran broadcaster in the AHL at this time, this is the yeah. Calder Cup finals, right? Yeah. And, and this guy's sleeping on the floor in the dressing room and, and then shuts out the Bears 4 nothing in game one. Uh, Bulldogs lost game two. And then went back home. It was a 2-3-2 series because of the travel. One game three, one game four. They won those two games going away. And to, this is to answer your question. This is a really long answer. I apologize, but love talking about 2007. Uh, so game five. Because the Bulldogs could win it, but there wasn't going to be a guaranteed winner. I think that's why we, I think there was 12,205 fans at game five, we were hoping for 17,428 again, but 12,000 strong at, at, I think it was still Cops Coliseum at the time. Yeah, it was because I used that in my call. So uh, my my favorite call, probably to this day, there are, are some Calgary Flames calls that I really love. Uh, I don't know if you're going to ask me about that later. I, yeah. I won't steal your yeah. thunder in case you do, but my favorite two calls with the Hamilton Bulldogs both came in that game, game five. So the one thing you can't plan for as a broadcaster is how you're going to call a game-winning goal. You don't know how it's going to happen. I got lucky with this one. It was 1-1 in the third period. And the feeling was if the Bears won game five and got the series back to Hershey for game six and seven, that they were going to find a way to, to repeat as champions. So there was this pressure on the Bulldogs to, to win the series at home in game five. So it's 1-1 about halfway through the third period, and the Bulldogs are shorthanded. Maxim Lapierre blocks a shot in front of his net, which leads to a two-on-one with the unofficial captain of that team, A.J. Baines. The Bulldogs didn't actually have a captain that year. You could argue that he was or maybe Kyle Chipchura was, one of those two guys. But for, for me, it was A.J. Baines, uh, a veteran AHL guy, uh, didn't get a cup of coffee in the NHL, but uh, was just one of those 
kind of veteran guys you had to have on your team if you were going to have success in the AHL. So two-on-one Lapierre and Baines. Lapierre makes a perfect pass to Baines. And I still don't know how he put the puck in the net. He basically went helicoptering and the puck went in by Frederick Kasivi. And the place just exploded. And still probably my favorite goal call ever. Um, and I encourage you to listen to it. I, I'm really proud of it. So I, I didn't know how that was going to happen, but a long two-on-one for a hockey play-by-play -play announcer is pretty easy to call because you've got time to set it up. And then it was just feeding off the energy of the 12,000-plus fans, which, which I did. So then fast forward to the end of the game. This is something I did plan for. So in the weeks leading up to Game 5, when I thought the Bulldogs might give me an opportunity to call a championship, I started laying awake at night thinking, okay, what am I going to say if they win at all? So I would lay in bed and I would just, I'd go through all, you know, all these different scenarios of, of how the game ended and, and how I was going to describe it. So I'm again, very proud of, of my end of game, end of season call um, because I just shut up for 10 seconds. So I kind of set the, 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 the tone, set the scene. And then I said, 10 seconds left. Let's listen to the crowd at Cops Coliseum. And then I just cranked up our crowd mics and shut up, which is the, the hardest thing for a broadcaster to do. We all want to talk. Um, so shutting up for 10 seconds and letting the fans take over. Maybe Steve was one of those fans. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So I just, I cranked up the crowd mics and they were screaming, yelling. I, I've never heard the building so loud. Maybe when Gretzky set up Lemieux in, in, in 87, it was louder, but it, it was incredible. And then some fireworks went off. And then I think I said, hopefully I get this right, uh, game over, series over, season over. And there was a lot of emotion in my voice. I actually get emotional just saying it right now. And for the first time in franchise history, the Hamilton Bulldogs have won the Calder Cup. They beat the Hershey Bears 2-1 in game five. And they win this best of seven series, four games to one. Start celebrating Steel Town. Your dogs are the AHL's best in 2007. I, I'm pretty sure that's what I said. I've listened to that call a lot. Um, and I get emotional even just saying those words now because it brings back just the emotion of the moment. Um, and our, we had this, we had a great broadcast location at Cops Coliseum. Maybe the it's best high, in hockey. It's Maybe high the, up though. It's, it's high not, up. I'm telling you, it's not high up. No, it, no. no. You compare it to where we call games from in the NHL. There are a handful of arenas that are similar, including Scotiabank Saddle Dome, but we actually don't have a booth at the Dome, believe it or not. It's kind of just a catwalk, and we're set up there. Great vantage point, but I think about Rogers Place in Edmonton. You feel like you're in Red Deer calling games. You're so far wow. from the ice, and, and that's the way it is in most new NHL buildings. Now, as a Red Wings fan, I'll tell you this. My favorite NHL building is Little Caesars Arena because oh, they, they modeled it after Bell Center in Montreal, and yep. the, the Detroit has come a long way in the last 10 years. It used to be pretty rough in, in that area of, of the city, like downtown. Oh, yeah. Oh, now, yeah, definitely. Yes. Yeah. Now they've I'm, got the football stadium, the baseball stadium, the hockey arena. Basketball. Uh, they've really cleaned up that, that yep. whole area. Yep. And, and it's quite nice now. But Little Caesars Arena, it's a lot like Bell Center. It's very steep. Most uh, U.S. buildings are certainly ones that have NHL and NBA teams have very flat seating because that's better for basketball and that's priority number one in most of those markets. But a great hockey arena is like this, like Bell Center, 
like Little Caesars Arena. And, and Cops Coliseum wouldn't be that steep, but fairly steep, but a gondola. So it kind of hangs yes. over the ice. So like I'm telling you, it's, yep. it's almost ideal to call a hockey game because you're, you're high enough up that it slows everything down and you can see everything. You can see plays develop and, and process it and you know, turn those thoughts into words. But you're also kind of right over the action. So great broadcast location there. And we used to have this bar. I think it was probably for security, so you don't fall out. But I just I was I would always lean on it to call games. And when the final few seconds were coming off the clock, and I was just listening to the crowd and kind of soaking it in myself, I remember grabbing that bar and like shaking it like the ultimate warrior. And so <laughs> just just thinking back to to that that moment in my career and uh, in Bulldogs franchise history, I, I still get chills thinking about it. So. Uh, thanks for asking me that question because I love talking about that game and that series yeah. of that season, as you can hear. Yeah, because my friend Steve, I don't mean to go on. He he's just a huge fan of yours too, and uh, he wanted me to ask you that. So I got one more Bulldogs related question for you, and yeah. then just a couple of uh, Calgary uh, questions for you. So uh, this is the last Bulldogs question for you. Um, top five AHL Bulldogs you saw play in your time in Hamilton? Just really brief. Like as 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 far as. You know, best players in the AHL or guys that went on to have uh, careers in the NHL? Um, I guess careers in the NHL that played with the Hamilton Bulldogs. Well, Carey Price has to be at the top of the list, right? Uh, I mean, arguably the greatest goaltender of his era. And we were so lucky to get him for those three regular season and what was it, 20, 22 postseason games back games. in 2006, 2007. And I forget how many games he played to start the next season, but he actually started the next season with us as well uh, before going up to the NHL and, and never looking back. But you know, Carey Price would have to be number one. The best skater that I ever saw play in the AHL, at least as far as guys who spent a significant amount of time in the league, P.K. Subban. I mean, he, he was such a talented guy. And... Usually when you're that good, you don't stay in the AHL for a full season. But he had some maturing to do. I think he would tell you the same thing. So Montreal Canadiens started him with the Hamilton Bulldogs, and he did get called up on a couple of occasions, including in the Stanley Cup playoffs, which is really his coming out party in the NHL that year. But in that 2009-2010 season, P.K. Subban was the best player in the AHL, in my opinion. He was the best prospect I'd ever seen in the league. and He'd probably be number two on my list. Max Pacioretty would be up there for sure. Max, Max was an interesting one because Don Lever was the head coach when Max Pacioretty played there. He might have crossed over into uh, Guy Boucher as well. I can't remember. But Don Lever was there when Max first started. And Max's goal was like the goal of everybody else in the AHL to get to the NHL. And he thought that he was going to have to do it as a bottom six forward. And Don Lever did not agree. And I remember Don calling him in to his office and saying, Max, you're going to be a top six guy and you're going to be a power play guy here. And you're going to be a top six guy and you're going to be a power play guy in the NHL. So I'm going to play you in the same situations here that you're going to be playing in in the NHL when you get there. And, and Max didn't believe it at first, but then he became uh, a great goal scorer with the Hamilton Bulldogs. And then eventually with the Montreal Canadiens, we became captain of the Habs. And, and now with the Vegas Golden Knights, so he'd be number three. Number four, excuse me, number four and five, Tomas Plakanitz was a terrific AHL player and turned into a terrific NHL player as well. So uh, I'd have to put him on the list. And I, I'm going to wrap up with a guy who didn't really get much time in the NHL. I think in this day and age, he would. 
But back then when you had to be big or you had to be really, really good, um, he just didn't really get a long look. And that's Corey Locke, uh, the Hamilton Bulldogs, all-time leader in goals, assists, and points. Uh, I think if he played today, he'd spend most of his career in the NHL. But back then he was small, didn't skate all that well, but he was incredibly smart. And I think teams now value that high hockey IQ more than they ever have. So uh, he didn't make it, but I think he should be on my list. Uh, one of my favorite guys, uh, certainly in my time in Hamilton and uh, all the Bulldogs leader in, in just about every offensive category when you look at that franchise. Because you look at, I don't mean to compare Locke to Suzuki, but even Suzuki, if he played 10, 15 years ago, he might not have gotten an opportunity as well because he's not that big either. Yeah, I think Suzuki skates better, but yes. uh, I also think that Locke could have, could have probably improved his skating as well. And, and yeah, the game has changed. And I think it's changed for the better because if you're small and skilled, you have a chance to play in the league now. I mean, you used to have to be small and really, really skilled to play in the league. And now if you're small and skilled and you can skate and you've got a high hockey IQ, you're going to play in the league. So it, it's great to see guys like Caulfield. And, and Cole Caulfield reminds me a little bit of Johnny Gaudreau. Just even the way they move and, and the way they think and, and their skill sets. Uh, so yeah, he's going to be a fun player to watch for a long time. Okay, definitely. Now I, I just want to wrap this up. I just got a couple Calgary questions for you, uh, Derek, and then I'll let you go. If you're still okay for a few more minutes. Yeah, I'm good. I, my okay. time isn't until one fifteen. So, okay, no problem. Cause like I said, I really appreciate you coming on and, and all the stuff you're telling us is uh, really good behind the scenes that the fans don't get to see. So uh, my next question I was going to ask you, how did you end up getting the Calgary Flames radio job? How did that come about? Well, it's an interesting story. So uh, I grew up, uh, I think I told you this earlier, as an Edmonton Oilers fan. And mm -hmm. we, were, we were affiliated with them for, I would say, parts of three or four seasons when I was in Hamilton. Uh, they were the Bulldogs affiliate when I started, and then they were a split affiliate, and then they sent some players to us on a couple of other occasions as well. So I knew some people in that organization. And when Hall of Famer Rod Phillips announced he was retiring, I applied for that job. Uh, I got a phone interview, but didn't get it. Probably finished top five, top 10, somewhere in that realm. So that was disappointing. What was really disappointing for me, though, was when the Montreal Canadiens uh, switched radio stations going from CJAD to TSN 690. I had called probably 100 Bulldogs games that were simulcast on TSN 690. I had a really good relationship with their program director. Obviously, had a really good relationship with with the people in Montreal and was told that the Canadians decided I was their guy. But the issue was they weren't responsible for hiring the new play-by-play -play announcer. That was a TSN decision. So really, I think the most disappointing moment of my career had to be when I didn't get that job. I spent the whole summer thinking that it was my job. I'm like, well, the Montreal Canadians, they told me I'm the guy, so I must be the guy. But, um, and I, I can't remember his name, Rob Gray, uh, he was the head of TSN Radio in Canada. He wasn't a big fan of mine. <laughs> so he decided to hire John Bartlett, and it was a great hire. John's uh, gone on to have a terrific career in the NHL and is now doing national games for Sportsnet. He's a really good broadcaster and was a really good hire. But as the voice of the Habs AHL affiliate for a decade, that was the job that I, I thought I was going to get, and I didn't, and I was super disappointed. And because Michael Anlauer treated me so unbelievably well in Hamilton, listen, I was ready to spend the rest of my career calling Bulldogs games. 
But then in the summer of 2014, Peter Marr announced that he was going to be retiring. Hall of Famer, unbelievable broadcaster, unbelievable guy. And he's treated me extremely well since I arrived here. Um, and I wasn't going to apply for the job. So my my wife, now ex-wife, Jen, had become friends with, you remember Zach Stortini? That name does sound familiar. Yeah, former NHL enforcer, uh, played for us in Hamilton, was on that 2007 Calder Cup team. Uh, I I didn't have friendships. I was friendly, but I didn't have friendships with a lot of players over the years. But he was one of the guys, he came over to my house for dinner on a few occasions. And my wife at the time really got along with his wife, Desiree. So Desiree called my now ex-wife and said, hey, the play-by-play the -play job in Calgary is open. Derek should apply. So uh, Jen came to me and said, hey, the Flames job's open. You should apply. And I'm like, nah, I was so disappointed. It ruined my whole summer when I didn't get the Canadians job. I said, I'm, I'm happy doing Bulldogs games. I'm just going to stay here. And so she actually talked me into applying. So I'm like, I, I hesitantly sent in a few audio clips and my resume. And I, I bet you within an hour, I got a response from Kelly Kirsch, uh, the program director at Sportsnet 960, the fan here in Calgary, uh, saying he wanted to set up a phone interview. So I did two or three phone interviews. And then they flew me out here. And my first in-person interview was with two people from Sportsnet, uh, including Kelly and a guy by the name of Craig Latoski, and four people from the Calgary Flames. And at the head of the table was the late Ken King, uh, who was, he ran Calgary Sports and Entertainment. And I'll never forget <laughs> that interview. So I was nervous going in you know, sweaty palms as I sat in the waiting room and, and went into the room and I thought, okay, this is my, this is my chance. And I'm in-person interview for an NHL job. And, and Ken, Ken King is a, was a very intimidating man. And I remember him doing everything he possibly could to rattle me and to see how I was going to respond. And at the time I'm like, what is happening right now? Like at one point in time, he got up, bent over with his back to me and started tying up his shoes. I'm like, what is happening? But he was just, he knew that whoever took over for Peter Marr, who's still to this day a legend here, they were going to have a, a rough go for a while. And he wanted to see how they would respond to adversity. And and he he pushed me. He asked me some really uncomfortable questions. And I, I was just honest with him, maybe too honest on occasion, including when he asked me who my favorite team was. And I tried to plead the fifth and then he wouldn't let me. And, and I had to answer Edmonton orders. And one of his vice presidents stood up and said, okay. Thanks for coming in. So I thought it was all over at that point in time. And I left that boardroom and I left Calgary thinking I got no chance to get this job. And a couple of weeks went by, hadn't heard anything. And then I got an email saying they want to bring you back for a second interview. Okay, well, still in the running. Well, the second interview wasn't really an interview. It was a welcome to Calgary. And I'll never forget how much Ken King changed. So in that first interview, he, he was tough on me and made me feel about this big. Um, he had a suit and a tie on and he, he was the man in the second interview interview. I use that term loosely. He was in a golf shirt, leaning back in his chair. And I think the first thing that he asked me was, so where are you going to live when you move to Calgary? And I'm like, does this mean I got the job? So anyways, uh, later that day, after I went through my second interview with Ken King, who had to give the stamp of approval. Uh, Kelly Kirsch said, let's meet for dinner at the keg. And he slid an envelope across the table with an offer. So 
that's uh, that's how I got my my first NHL job and, and maybe my last. I, I'd be more than happy to spend my whole career here. I was going to say, that's awesome stuff, uh, Derek. And and like I said, there's only so many of these jobs in each league. And, and uh, it's just amazing how sometimes things work out. Yeah, I mean, I'm very grateful to, to get to do what I do, uh, to do what I love uh, for a living. Uh, there are 32 jobs now in the NHL with the Seattle Kraken coming in. And uh, guys, especially on the radio side, it seems, once they get a job, they don't give it up. Like Peter Marr, for instance, was here 33, 34 years. Yep. Um, and, and I don't know where my career is going to take me. Uh, I, I'll tell you this. Uh, last summer, uh, I did uh, interview. I was shortlisted and interviewed for the Tampa Bay Lightning television job. Uh, that was a pretty exciting opportunity. It's funny how the, when the process started, there were different candidates than when the process ended because of COVID. So I felt pretty good about my chances when the process started, but then a couple of candidates who weren't available became available uh, because of the COVID break. And uh, Dave Randorf ended up getting that job, and you know he does an outstanding job calling lightning games on television. So really happy for him. He's become a good friend of mine over the years. But uh, maybe someday I'll end up calling Flames games on television. Maybe I'll, I'll be on the radio for the rest of my career. Maybe I'll end up in another market, but. Uh, Calling Calgary Flames games for the last seven years has been an absolute thrill. And uh, we've had one pretty good playoff run, hoping for some more longer playoff runs moving forward and and maybe one this season. Okay. Uh, just two quick questions and that's it. Uh, this one I was just going to ask you briefly. Um, what is it like um, following in the footsteps of Peter Maul as uh, the voice of the uh, Flames? How were people receptive to you in your uh, rookie year with the Calgary Flames? Well, it, it's a great question. And I'll, I'll just be honest and say it, it, it was tough. And in some ways it's still tough because when I got the job, people asked me about replacing Peter Marr. And I said, you don't replace Peter Marr. No, no. He's, he's irreplaceable. All I could do, and I liked how you worded your questions, actually, because I, all I could do was try to follow in his footsteps. He, he set the bar extremely high. He's a Hall of Famer. So all I can do is 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 be myself. I'm not going to try to be Peter Marr. I, early in my career, I think I tried to be Rick Jenneret because he's the, the guy on the radio who I grew up listening to yeah. growing up 40 minutes from Buffalo. Uh, some of those calls you played earlier, I think you probably hear, and, and this is, I'm giving myself a compliment by saying this. I think you probably hear a little bit of Rick Jenneret in those calls. Uh, he's obviously way better than I was. Um, but just that enthusiasm and, and the way I say said scores, that that's because I grew up listening to Rick Jenneret. And uh, he's been a huge influence on me. But you know, all I could do is come in and, and be my best self. And I've always put in a lot of work. I, I spend the whole day prepping for a game. Uh, like we talked about earlier, I spent a lot of time critiquing myself, trying to get feedback. So, you know, all of those things that I did in Hamilton, I've continued to do in Calgary and, and in ways to an even greater extent, because I'm allowed to focus just on broadcasting. Now I don't have to worry about being the senior director of communications and uh, broadcasting and team services and doing all those other things. I can just focus on broadcasting now, but it's been tough. The first year or two, or maybe even three, if I didn't nickel, for every time someone said to me, you have big shoes to fill, I'd be a millionaire. I really would be. And I knew I had big shoes to fill. I still have big shoes to fill. And I'll never fill Peter Marr's shoes. But you know, hopefully 20 years from now, if I'm still doing what I'm doing, people will look at me in a similar way to how they still look at Peter Marr. 
as the voice of the team. And I wouldn't even call myself the voice of the Flames until I got to my second contract. For me, that's something you have to earn. You don't earn it just by getting the job. You earn it by doing the job to the best of your ability and, and winning people over. And I know that there are some people I'll never win over, Chris, but I, I think I've won a lot of people over just uh, with the work that I've put in, with the passion that I've brought to the broadcasts. Um, so it, it wasn't easy. And, and in some ways, it's still not easy following in his footsteps. But I'm really lucky because he's he's been a great mentor since I came to Calgary as well. He has always been very welcoming. We try to play a couple of rounds of golf every summer. We try to get together every couple of months during the winter to, to talk hockey and to talk broadcasting. So Peter Marr has been great and, and kind of his endorsement uh, has made things a little bit easier for sure. I was going to say, and one of the guys I, I had on my show six months ago, Bob Soshi, who's a, he's a young guy my age or our age, uh, he took over from the late, great Gil Santos, who did the Patriots games for 36 years. And when I said, what's it like to replace him? Bob Soshi kind of corrected me and just said, it's not replacing him. It's I'm trying to follow in his footsteps. Yeah. So that advice Bob gave me six months ago, I, I kind of now use when I ask people are uh, – play-by-play guys who have taken over from legends what it's like to, to use the, fo- the footsteps instead of saying replace and your answers are very similar to bob and he's a really nice guy too yeah i'm sure he is uh but but it's so true right it, it's all about respect uh you have to respect the people that came before you and you know for me growing up uh on the radio as i mentioned rick jenneret was the guy who i listened to the most i listened to joe bowen a, a lot as well on television, of course, Bob Cole and Chris Cuthbert, uh, who uh, I'm lucky enough to work with with Sportsnet now, and he's an unbelievable guy as well. But you know, these are the people who uh, basically paved the way for, for me and, and people like me that do what we do. So I think it's really important to, to show those people the respect they deserve, and and I'll do that however I can with, uh, with Peter Marr for sure. Yeah. And last question, and that's it, Derek. Uh, any advice, uh, not just for me, but anyone that's watching this later on, uh, looking to pursue a career in radio, television, or as a play-by-play guy? I'll just be blunt. Unless you're super passionate about it, don't bother. Uh, for a couple of different reasons. Number one, it, it's it's hard to get into this industry. Uh, I mean, to get into this industry at a high level, at least. I mean, because of podcasts and, and things like that, social media, you can get into this industry kind of on the fringes, on the edges, and, and that's easy enough to do. And uh, I think it's a great way to, to get your feet wet. Um, but to get to a major professional league and to, to become the voice of a team, it's, it's not easy. And you said it earlier, you, you have to do the work, but you also have to get lucky. Timing has to work out. And for yep. me, timing worked out, whether it be, you know, the host not showing up for that junior B game one night. I often wonder what I would be doing if that hadn't happened. So that that's luck, right? That, that he couldn't make it and they let me fill in. And that was the start of it all. I got lucky getting the Bulldogs job at 24. I didn't deserve the job. There were guys out there better than me. I got lucky because of where I lived and the connections I had made. I got lucky to get that job. And in a lot of ways, I got lucky to get the flames job. Now, I put a lot of work in, don't get me wrong, 13 years in the American Hockey League, five years doing lots of other stuff before that. So I definitely put in the work to, to get to the NHL, but you, you still have to you still have to get lucky as far as timing, as far as, uh, you know, through the eyes of the person hiring, 
it's very subjective broadcasting. So thankfully, Kelly Kirsch saw in me what he was looking for. If it had been someone else, they might not have. Just like uh, the guy who was hiring for the Canadians job, his ears didn't like the way I called a game. Thankfully, Kelly Kirsch's did. And, and he's helped me improve a lot over the years as well. So my advice is if you're passionate about it, go for it. Get as much practical experience as you can. Now, if you're if you're coming out of high school, or if even if you're in your late teens, early 20s, I do recommend going to broadcasting school. And there's some great ones out there. Uh, Ryerson is probably the top school in Canada. Syracuse, probably the top school in, in the United States. But I know that there's, uh, there's an actual broadcasting school, uh, a sports media college in Toronto that would be, I think, outstanding if you wanted to get into the industry and, and not only gain that practical experience and get an education, but also build some great contacts. So if, if you're in the right age group, and if, even if you're later in life, but you can do it, get an education, but practical experience. And if you can kind of tie the two together and get an education and get practical experience, which is kind of what I did, that's the best way to go. Do as much as you can, even if it's outside of your comfort zone, even if it's something you're not all that interested in. Uh, for me, co-hosting the morning show wasn't something I wanted to do moving forward, but more broadcasting experience. So just do as much as you can. Uh, always be professional. I always wore a suit and tie covering Junior B games. People wondered why, but I always wore a suit and tie. It's about building that image, making sure that people look at you as a professional. I think with that comes respect. And then you got to put in the work and you got to be willing to pay your dues. And and if you, if you can do all of that, uh, if you have some talent and if you get a little lucky, then it can be a great career. It really can be. Okay. Well, thank you, Derek, for the uh, great advice. And uh, I really appreciate, I'm sorry I kept you over 40 minutes, but. Uh, oh, it's okay. Uh, okay. Enjoy the chat. Well, like you said, everybody that comes on here, I, I'm changing the name of my podcast just to live with CDP because <laughs> most of my interviews, I guess in a way, go 45 minutes to an hour. And I guess in a way that's uh, good too because I'm trying to re build a rapport with my guests too. And and, and sometimes it, it, it takes a little, a few minutes to for the guests to, to kind of know where I'm coming from and then just, uh, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And uh, you were very easy to talk to, ask some great questions and I think that's why the conversation went on as long as it did, uh, because it was it was just a conversation. It wasn't necessarily an interview. And I guess that's the last piece of advice I would I would give to an aspiring broadcaster. You, you want to have conversations with people. If you're interviewing someone that's very formal, maybe you've got questions that uh, you have written down or you have in the back of your mind, and that's okay too. It's good to be prepared going into an interview. But if you can turn an interview into a conversation, that's kind of next level. And I think that's what we had today was a conversation. So job well done. Thank you. And I've also had to let ab lib too. I've had some guests where something's come up and they couldn't come on or there technical difficulties. And uh, I just have to go on with the show and, and, and I've, I'm still learning about ab libbing too sometimes. Yep. It's uh, it's all part of the learning process for sure. And uh, I remember before my first game, just to wrap it up here, uh, I'll, yeah. I'll start at the beginning and I'll take you closer to the end. Uh, before my first game hosting, I wrote out my entire intro. Like this thing is three pages long, wow. written out. Well, first of all, where, where am I supposed to put it? So I think I taped it to the camera. It was like, got some scotch tape out, taped these three sheets together, taped it to the bottom of the camera lens. The, the problem with doing that is that once you get lost and you're going to get lost, then you're lost and you're, you're, 
you're uh, up the creek with no paddle. So I learned quickly to, to have thoughts in my head and to just, you know, kind of let it flow instead of trying to read something. If, I mean, if you're lucky enough to work at a place with a teleprompter, that's one thing, but I don't recommend uh, writing three pages uh, for an intro and then trying to read through it. Uh, so that was, uh, that was kind of a hard lesson learned very early in my career. And then, you know, later in my career, you, you look for, you look for those special moments. And, and since we didn't get to it, just thinking about my favorite calls with the Calgary Flames there are two that really stand out. Uh, my first year, no one expected the Flames to do anything. Like they were supposed to be a bottom team in the league, not really expected to even compete for a playoff spot, let alone get into the Stanley Cup playoffs. But I think they got in in game number 81 beating the Kings, and then they upset the Vancouver Canucks in the first round of the playoffs. And Matt Stajan, the, the Flames were up three games to two in the series. Game six was at the Saddledome. They were down 3 nothing early, battled back, made it 3-3, fell behind 4-3, tied it up 4-4, and then Matt Stajan, late in the third period, scored to make it 5-4. And, and that wound up being the game-winning goal and the series-winning goal to send the Flames to the second round. So that call is uh, certainly a memorable one. And I don't know if you collect cards, Chris. Oh, I, yes. Yeah, oh, I, yeah. Huge. I, yeah, I, I did when I was a kid. Uh, I did again when I was a teenager. I wish I had the cards from when I was a kid. The ones from when I was a teenager, uh, they're not worth all that much from the early 1990s. But one of the guys I collected in that era was Yaromir Yager. Oh, yes. So to have an opportunity to call his games in the NHL, like I, I still can't believe I had a chance to do it. So Yager signed with the Flames. It was really late in the offseason, like literally the day before the season was going to start. And it, it was just, it was mind blowing that I was going to have a chance to call his games. I mean, I used to collect his hockey cards when I was a teenager. So there was all this anticipation for this living and playing legend, Yager, to, to put that flaming C on and he did, and and he played fairly well for an older guy, the oldest guy in the league. But that first goal was hard for him to get. So there was this this building anticipation in the fan base and in the broadcasters waiting for this first goal. And then he finally scored it. It was uh, again a long two on one with Johnny Gaudreau, and Gaudreau made a perfect pass, and Yager didn't even look like he was trying to snap the pocket of the top corner of the net and. That call probably sounded more like those calls you heard early in our conversation, Chris, where I, I lost it because the whole Saddle Dome lost it. Uh, so getting the call, his first Calgary Flames goal, which wound up being his last National Hockey League goal, I think number wow. 768, wow. was uh, certainly a big highlight of my career and uh, hoping more of those are to come. I was going to say, I have his uh, autograph up or deck card too. I have, uh, I wish I could show you all my card collection from the past, but I have so many and, uh, and I wish, and I had the Wayne Gretzky rookie card too, but back in the seventies, uh, kids in the seventies weren't smart enough to protect cards. Nope, nope. No, I've, I've had a few of those as well. Now I'm so. into football cards. I'm a huge Miami Dolphins fan, uh, lifelong, long suffering Miami Dolphins fan. And I'm pretty excited about the team right now, especially the quarterback to a tongue of Iowa. Yeah, uh, and and before I let you go, I'll I'll yeah. admit this, and I hope it works out for me because I've invested quite a bit of money. But I have 499 of his rookie cards. Wow! So I'm hoping Tua becomes uh, an All Pro and a Super Bowl winner. It'll be a pretty good investment, just like Definitely. those Carey Price rookie cards I bought back in 2007. 
they've Seven. turned into a pretty good investment too. Definitely. Anyways, Derek, I'm going to let you go so you can get your golfing in. And I was going to say maybe again in the future, I might be able to have you come back on in the future and just talk uh, about the Calgary flames. Maybe for sure. Uh, why don't you reach out next season? Once uh, some games are being played and we can talk some NHL. Definitely. Anyways, uh, have a great uh, day, Derek Golfin, and thank you so much again for coming on my uh, 30 Minutes Live with CDP podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Take care. Anyways, guys, I hope you enjoyed my podcast today with Derek. I just want to say thank you so much for Derek for coming on. Uh, you guys can also follow Derek on Twitter at Fan960Wills, and he's also on Instagram as well. And you can check out the Calgary Flames website too. Uh, I'll put the website on here, uh, nhl.com slash flames. So, again, I hope you guys enjoyed my uh interview and podcast with Derek and uh, I really appreciate him giving me over an hour of his time uh, to talk about his career with the Bulldogs and now with the Calgary Flames so anyways guys uh, I'm going to call this a show but uh, before I go I'm going to put on my next guest right here and uh, one second I'll just put her picture up here and that's yeah uh, so my next podcast guys is going to be uh, Saturday July 3rd which is tomorrow at 2.30 Eastern, 11.30 Pacific. And my uh, guest is going to be uh, LaMonica Peters, uh, a reporter for CBS 8 in San Diego. So I hope you guys can tune in tomorrow at 2.30 Eastern, 11.30 West Coast time. LaMonica La Peters, a reporter from CBS 8 in San Diego, uh, will be on my podcast. Uh, and, and that's going to call my podcast for the day. But uh, again, I appreciate Derek Wills, the voice of the flames on uh, sports night, Sportsnet 960 in Calgary for coming on. And I hope you guys can all tune in to my next podcast tomorrow afternoon, two 30 Eastern with LaMonica Peters from CBS eight and Sandy Eagle. So guys, uh, I'm going to call that a day. And I uh, hope you guys enjoy game three of the Stanley Cup finals tonight, Tampa Bay and Montreal. Tampa Bay is up 2 nothing. This is a must game for Montreal. Uh, they don't want to fall behind 3 nothing to Tampa Bay. So I'm looking forward to uh, the Lightning-Habs game at the Bell Center tonight at 8 o'clock. All right, guys, have a, good great, have a good afternoon, good evening, and we'll talk to you guys tomorrow afternoon on 30 Minutes Live with CDP Podcast. Take care. Thank you all for watching.